You're listening to Pondering the Bible, a deeper dive into the books of the Bible. Greetings and welcome to Pondering the Bible. I'm your co-host, Ken Corkins, and with me soldiering on through a head cold is my longtime friend and pastor, Rocky Ellison. Hello. <laughs> you sound great. It's so good for you to be here. And that's work. You sound great. He's soldiering on. All right. This is season nine, episode four. And as always, we pray that we're sponsored by the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So this is yeah, Sunday is Christ the King Sunday. But for the last two weeks, we looked at the other two major offices that only Jesus and before him, only Moses held right. Christ as the prophet, Christ as the high priest. <laughs> and now we get to Christ as the king, which is an official liturgical holiday, which was coming up on Sunday for us. And it tends to be one that a lot of people don't think of like, no, Jesus is my savior. He's not my king. Right. Well, yes, he is. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, that's, that's kind of where I get. I mean, we don't really understand what it was like to be under the rule of a king. Right. Right. We haven't been under a monarchy since what we split off from, from England in right. the late 1700s. Right. But even then it wasn't as powerful as kings of the olden days were. So we don't really understand how a king kind of plays into everyday life. If it did other than, you know, taxes, but that doesn't go away. Yeah. So why do we even, I'm going to ask you this question we haven't prepared for, but why do we even need a king? What makes, I mean, it, to the to the people of the day who were under kings, it made sense yeah. to have, no, this is the earthly king, but I have a heavenly king. And then that's why we call him the king of kings, because he's higher than any other king. Right. That's kind of a, you know, status update. But it doesn't necessarily, kingship doesn't resonate with me. Do you have yeah. any thoughts on that? Yeah. So when Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt uh, into the wilderness, they spend the next 40 years roaming through the wilderness with Moses functioning, like you said, as prophet, priest, and king. Uh, and at the end of those 40 years, it's finally time to enter Canaan, to enter the promised land. Right. They've circled around and they're at the River Jordan, about to cross it from east to west to enter into Israel. And Moses stands the people up. He gives them Deuteronomy, the second reading of the law. And at the conclusion of that, Moses passes leadership to Joshua. Right. But it's he doesn't get, you will now be prophet, priest, and king. That's not how it works. If you see uh, paintings of Moses, typically he's portrayed holding a book because he wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. Right. Sometimes you will see Moses holding a staff because that's how he parted the Red Sea, the, his right. greatest miracle uh, of all time. When you see paintings of Joshua, he's holding a sword. Hmm. Joshua has one job, to be a general, to go in and to displace the Canaanites from their homes, force them out into the streets and claim this land uh, on behalf of the children of Israel. Uh, so what Joshua does is is vastly different than what, what Moses did. They spend the next 40 years fighting their way from south to north until eventually they own all of what we consider Israel today. And when it's all done, Joshua splits them up into something like states. Right. There are 12 states. Each tribe has their own state. And the 13th tribe, because when they come out of Egypt, there are actually 13 tribes. The 13th tribe, Levi, 
uh, becomes the tribe of priests, and they are not given a state. They are dispersed throughout the other 12 states to be the church leaders for the rest of Israel. And, and the idea is that God is going to be the king of Israel. This will be a theocracy. Right. God will speak to the high priest who, at this point in history, sometimes the high priest might do prophecy and might receive prophecy from God, or there might be a prophet uh, at this point. But the high priest never holds more than two offices. At the most, he's high priest and prophet. Uh, But God's plan is to uh, speak to the high priest, give him directions. The high priest passes these directions on to all the Levite priests throughout the nation, and God leads his people through his holy church. That's the plan. And so there's this really great verse in in Joshua that just about everybody has has heard of at one point or another. This is Joshua 24:15. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. So that's Joshua's parting advice to the nation of Israel. I'm not your general anymore. I'm not going to be a prophet, priest, or king. My advice to you is listen to the priests, do what God tells you to do, but that's on you. All right. Whatever happens is is on you. The choice is yours. But for me, this is what I'm doing. Okay. Exactly. So then we enter what we call the period of the judges. So there is no central authority in Israel. God is the king of his people. And anytime an external threat shows up, God raises up a judge who's sort of a, a mini Joshua, a general for a specific battle at a specific point in a specific place. Samson is a judge. Mm-hmm. Gideon is a judge. There are many, many others. But what's really interesting is when there's not conflict going on right now, it turns out the people don't trust the church. Hmm. Churches are run by men. Yes. And men are sinners. Yes. And so people lose confidence in the church that this is really speaking to me on behalf of God. How do I know that God actually talked to the high priest? How, it's not like with Moses where he went up on the mountain. We could all see right here God conversing. This is way different. How do I know he's not just faking it? And, and some of the stuff the high priest says, I don't really care for. And so you have people begin to just drift away and and do whatever they want to do. At uh, several places in the book of Judges is this one line, and it, it appears four or five times throughout the book of Judges. I'm looking at Joshua 21, 25. In those days, Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Wow. So that's what Israel degrades to uh, anarchy, basically. Truly, yeah. Uh, you make up your own laws. You, If you get up one morning and you decide, you know, I'm going to be a murderer today. Hey, that's if that seems prudent to you, go for it. He needed killing. No reason. I just like doing things like that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And so this goes on for for many years, 
and law-abiding people who who like justice and who like reliability of government finally decide we've had enough. Samuel is the high priest. He has two sons, but they're really corrupt boys. They will they've been filling in and judging on cases when Samuel is too old and you can buy justice. If you got enough oh. money, they'll sell you the verdict you want. They're taking money to let people look behind the tent and see the Ark of the Covenant there in Shiloh. And they're just really rotten, rotten kids. <laughs> and and this adds to not trusting right. the yeah. church. If they're not trustworthy, why should I trust them? Exactly. Right. So every state elects a delegate and all 12 delegates travel down to Shiloh, which is about 20 miles north of Jerusalem. They approach Samuel and they say, we want a king. Right. Uh, somebody that we can look at and hold accountable, somebody that will protect us from foreign invasion, but give us real laws because the church isn't enforcing the laws. So a king has to enforce the laws so that we can have have law and order and not anarchy anymore. We want a king. And so we come in 1 Samuel chapter 8. There's just this, this really sad verses. I'm going to read you the whole section. Okay. But it's, it's, it's terribly sad. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. They were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. And this is what's so sad. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. And then he, Samuel goes back to them and he warns them <laughs> that government is not perfect. <laughs> government may not be the answer you're looking for, right? If the church was corrupt because it was run by sinful men, politics is every bit the same. Yeah, if not worse. <laughs> so Samuel says to him, so Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who were asking him for a king. This is how the king will reign over you, Samuel said. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow in his fields and harvest his crops, and some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves. When that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding, but the Lord will not help you. Mm. So he warned him. <laughs> he did, and still they they jumped right in there. And that's the day then that the three offices, prophet, priest, and king, 
legally become separated, never to be held by more than one man at a time. Mm, interesting. And so we get Solomon then. That's, yes. That's when they pick Solomon and David. And yeah, and then the a whole rash of this king was good, that king was bad. Yes. All those kinds of things that kind of weaved through the story of the land of Israel over the next what thousand years? Yeah, after yeah. after the book of Second Samuel comes the books of First and Second Kings, and the phrase that keeps being repeated there is, "He did evil like yeah. no one in the land before <laughs> yeah. him." He did evil in the sight of God. Oh, yeah. so before so it was times. the people doing their own evil. Now it's the king yeah, doing it, <laughs> and he's doing it to the people. Right. So they traded away God for a sinful man who could who could just abuse them. Right. So he had absolute power, and he and we know what absolute power causes. Absolute corruption. Yes. And so I guess in hindsight, we can see it now, but <laughs> they couldn't see it at the time. All right. So you still haven't answered my question. <laughs> Are you refusing to answer the question? <laughs> <laughs> if Jesus is my savior, yeah. why do I need a king? We just said kings yeah. kind of are not great. Okay. Yeah. Why do I need a king by the name of Jesus? You, Jesus did come to save us from our sins. And we tend to stop right there. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's it. He came to save us. He did that on the cross, and that's the end of my relationship with Jesus. He's my Savior, and I'll see him in heaven, and that's all there is. Jesus is so much more than just our Savior. We have a really small view of Jesus Christ. By his sacrifice on the cross, he has repaired you and me. He has atoned for our sins. He has redeemed us from our slavery to sin. And you and I are now seen as perfect in the eyes of a holy, holy God. So Jesus fixes the brokenness in you and me. But the universe, all of creation was corrupted by sin as well. And one of Jesus's reasons for coming is to repair creation. That has to be handled at the same time. And, uh, Creation, part of part of it is government. Mm. The the nations of this world are controlled by governments. They are at war uh, right now. Israel and Hamas are right. uh, are fighting in the Holy Land, and it doesn't look like that's going to be over soon. And the the death toll is mounting. And Jesus also came to end that to to repair the damage we have done to our world and to our governments. Jesus is the King, not just of the earth but of all creation. Okay. He's born, we read tonight, in Bethlehem, and immediately the Magi come and focus on him. Oh, we didn't read that. Yeah, I was going to say. We did. We skipped over that. Let me, let me jump to Matthew real quick here. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I've got it if you want it real quick. Yeah, go for it. Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrive in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Okay, there's all kind of stories about the Magi, but this right. is really about, they're calling him the king. Yeah. The foreigners knew that he was the newborn king yeah. of the Jews. A divine sign has appeared in the heavens, and Jesus is the king of the Jews. We always say, well, Jesus isn't an earthly king. He was born as the king of the Jews. The Magi declared him appropriately by the sign. Now, he's never going to serve in that office during his his life. The Herod and Pilate are going to make sure of that. But Jesus is born as the king of Israel in the line of David. Uh, he is not ready to be enthroned 
And so as his minute, when he turns 30 and his ministry goes on, he's very wary anytime the people try and push him into the king's seat. Jesus needs to die on the cross. Kings don't get crucified. Right. So Jesus cannot allow that to happen. In the, cha- in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. There's this amazing miracle where he, he preaches to the people and feeds them this, this amazing meal. And you get to the end of that story. This is just before Jesus goes out walking on the water. And John writes, when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. So Jesus is born as a king. There is a large movement to make him a king. And Jesus rejects both of those because he has a bigger plan. He's, he's a bigger king than what these, these people are seeing. There is coming the day when Jesus will reign as king of all creation. And there's this really great reading from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. Follow me on this. Paul is writing. He says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Mm. With God as our king again, with Jesus as our king, the church will be returned to dispensing administration, but this time it will be a good church. It'll be a holy church. It'll be a church that we don't have to mistrust. Right. That's coming back. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. So Jesus is going to fix the heavens. He's going to fix the earth and he's going to fix government so that you and I can once again trust 100% that those who lead us are doing it correctly. And so at, with Jesus as king, and as we said last week, as prophet, and then as and as high priest, bringing all three of those roles together again, yeah. then we have the perfect leadership, the purest leadership, because it's God. Yes. And so things will be right. There will be no more corruption. Yeah. That will be awesome. Can we start now? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we could do without a lot of the stuff that's oh, on earth today. <laughs> when you, when you, I, I mean, I love the American uh, civil system. I love our government. I think it's the best in the world. But I would swap it right now uh, for Jesus as King of the United States. Absolutely, I'd, I'd go for that in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. All right. Anything else on this one? Nope. That's it. It's a fairly simple concept. Okay. Have you given a sermon title yet? Yeah, I'm calling this one King of Kings. Okay. So if you'd like to listen to the sermon that Rocky delivers, it'll be at our website at www.pondergmc.org. At the top is a menu called Ministries. Click that, go down to Sermons. Look for the sermon, King of Kings. This will have been delivered on November 26th, 2023. Um, 
Where are we going next week? Okay, week after this is the first Sunday of Advent. We are moving into the Gospel of John. We will be there until after Easter. And we're going to start at the beginning. Oh, good. The very beginning. In the beginning was the Word. <laughs> In the beginning John was one the Word. <laughs> That's where we're going. Outstanding. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Well, as we wrap this episode up, remember the famous words of the anonymous author, it's all fun and games until someone doesn't pick up on the sarcasm. <laughs> and with that, I think we'll close this episode. This is Ken Corkins and Rocky Ellison reminding you to feel better, Rocky. Thank you. And love God and be nice to people. <laughs>